Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Season four of the Business Integrity School is sponsored by J.B. Hunt Transport Services, Inc. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. I am really excited to introduce to you today our guest, Lisa Morden. She's the Vice President of Safety, Sustainability, and Occupational Health at Kimberly-Clark. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Cindy. Great to be here with you today. I'm real excited to dig into this conversation. But before we do that, let me tell you all just a little bit about Kimberly-Clark and about Lisa, and then we'll dive right into all things ESG. So for those of you who don't know, Kimberly Clark is a global company behind iconic consumer brands, including like Huggies, the diapers, Kleenex, which I always have handy, (laughs) Scott, and Lisa's got hers too, (laughs) Scott and Kotex. Um, And they have a big, Kimberly Clark has a big anniversary coming up next year. In 2022, the company will be celebrating being in business for 150 years. Wow. That is, that's big. And Lisa's one of the people behind the scenes making sure that Kimberly Clark is going to be around for the next 150 years as well. Lisa's been at Kimberly Clark now for over 28 years, which just is a fantastic legacy. And she's going to have so much wealth to share with us in terms of her knowledge of the company and where they're headed with all things ESG. And on Lisa's watch, Kimberly Clark has made some very significant strides in its efforts to create positive social and environmental change. Just as one quick example, the company met its 2022 greenhouse gas reduction goals, not one, not two, not three, but four years years ahead of schedule. That's incredible. Just incredible. So Lisa is also the one who is behind many of Kimberly Clark's recent recognitions, including Forbes Most Reputable Companies, the Ethical Sustainability Index, and being reconfirmed as a constituent there for global excellence, and also the Forest Stewardship Council's Leadership Award. And Lisa herself was named by Green Biz in 2019, I love this one, as one of the 25 badass women shaking up the corporate climate environment and the movement. That is just fantastic. That's the best one ever, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. And most recently, uh, Lisa was invited to join the Forbes Ignite Changemakers Dialogue on Women in the C-Suite and how they are changing sustainability. And we'll drop a link in the the, uh, uh, episode here so you all can find that at ForbesIgnite.com. But I just can't wait to dive right into this conversation with you, Lisa. Can you tell us a little bit about your time at Kimberly-Clark? How did you you get into the position you are now and what what led you to an interest in, in sustainability and ESG? Oh, thanks for that question, Cindy. And thanks for that amazing introduction. You know, so, so many of the, the points of pride that you've, that you've highlighted in the discussion, it's just, it, it takes a team effort. You know, there's so many great and passionate people throughout a big comp- company like Kimberly-Clark with the talent and capabilities that we have that are all playing such a meaningful role in helping us to, to position the company for the future, but also to help ensure that we're living our values every single day. Yeah. It makes it a great place to work, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. 
That's awesome. And, yeah. Clearly, because you've stayed there for a really long time. Exactly. So. I, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a testament. Yeah. Absolutely a testament, you know, and, and, and given the company is just, it's, it's, it's got a global footprint. It's, it's a very diverse organization. It's given me so many different opportunities to work in different functions, different parts mm-hmm. of the business, and certainly even to see parts of the world that I don't know that I otherwise would have visited yeah. on, on other opportunities. So I, it's just given me this really great, rich set of perspectives um, and opportunities as I've gone through my career. And, and, you know, throughout my career, whether I've worked in operations or in strategy roles or marketing compliance roles, Cindy, um, I've always been very drawn to the environmental and social aspects of what we do as a company, you know, mm-hmm. who, who we are, what our categories are, what our value chain supply chain look like, you know, who, what we deliver to our consumers and our customers um, into the future. So that's always been a big part of my focus, no matter the role that I've been in. And I think it became part of my personal brand, probably is what I would say. Yeah. How do we make this bath tissue more environmentally sustainable, more environmentally responsible? Um, You know, those types of of, um, mindsets, bringing them to all of the roles that I've had through time Mm -hmm. have, have created that, that, that brand. And, you know, certainly when an opportunity to like leading the global sustainability function for the company came along. It was a no brainer for me. I jumped at the <laughs> opportunity. I was very excited to take it on. And, uh, you know, again, those opportunities to collaborate broadly with all of these functions around the world. Yeah. It's just been amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure that business background and being in all those different roles sort of helped you bring the, the Kimberly Clark kind of ethos to the sustainability role. Uh, because you under, you understood so much about the company, I just I, I can't imagine that must have just been invaluable, and I'm sure it was a no brainer for the company as well to put you in the position. Yeah, they had to take some risks, I would say, to, to do <laughs> some of these roles. But you know, it's been sort of a meandering career, right, in different yeah. parts of the business, not uh, not necessarily sort of one you know silo functional area that I've tried oh. to always tried to build expertise around, but still yeah. providing that or still growing that broader business acumen supply chain yeah. acumen, manufacturing acumen. Yeah. That's really how you begin to see and understand the, the sustainability related and CSR related aspects of your business is to see yeah. it from all those different angles. Yeah. yeah. Well, ESG sustainability, I mean, it is like the hot topic these days. And it, it used to be an issue that was sort of, eh, there, but kind of pushed to the sidelines. And, you know, it was, uh, there were some investment funds that had, you know, ESG, you know, efforts, but it wasn't like kind of front and center like it is right now. And one of the things I'm interested in your view on is whether or not you think that shift from sidelines to kind of front and center for companies is really here to stay. Oh, there's the question of the century. You know, I, I actually do think it is here to stay. Um, yeah. You know, because I believe it's been, it's been building for quite some time, you know, and that's reflected in just the sheer number of different disclosure frameworks that are out there, the rankings and rating systems that have proliferated over the years, et cetera. So it's been growing, I think, through time. And we're seeing certainly, as you point out, more energy behind most of these yeah. than we ever have before. Um, and I suspect, frankly, that there are probably a few more coming down the road before the story is over. Um, so, yeah. so the journey is still continuing. But, but I do think that there are a couple of other reasons um, that we may see more stickiness or integration embedding into, into business and the overall ESG side of the equation. 
I think that in a lot of cases, environmental and social issues may actually be material to the business and could mm -hmm. be indicative of long-term value at risk, risk, if not managed effectively. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I, I think secondly, ESG, uh, it can be an indication of how well a company is managed overall. You've probably mm -hmm. have seen some of those stats, right? The data and the research that correlates stock performance with overall oh, yeah. ESG performance and oh, incredibly yeah. compelling. And I think we're seeing more and more of that through time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that uh, purpose and wanting to work for a company that is purposeful and, you know, is doing something more than just, you know, putting products on shelves, whether it's Kleenex or, you know, or diapers really, really matters um, for the generations that are coming up behind us. Um, not that it doesn't matter to us, but I, I think that we've, that there's this sense of purpose in the younger generation and really wanting to make sure that that gets married into, into all things uh, corporate America as well. Okay. So do, do you think there was a certain tipping point that got us from kind of sidelines and shareholder it's reign supreme to kind of front and center and all things stakeholder related yeah i think your your comment on purpose is just so relevant actually because if you, if i step back um to the the beginning of the covid-19 pandemic for example you know so going back a year and a half now i guess um yeah. It really highlighted, I think, to a lot of organizations how, how, how delicate everything is ranging from supply chain resilience to just the fabric of our society being just so, so delicate. Um, you couple that with what we saw in terms of social unrest last summer, you know, mm -hmm. fires and droughts in the West and hurricanes and ice storms in the South. People can really visibly see, hear and feel some of these social and environmental issues, they're, they're, they're clear and they're present at this point in time, they're front and center. And I believe that's galvanizing a lot more action, whether it's you know, people and prospective employees wanting to work for companies that are there to make a difference in the world, mm -hmm. or the organizations themselves really beginning to focus on, okay, why, why do we exist? You know, what is our corporate purpose? Um, and at KC, uh, it, it, did, it did that, I think, at Kimberly-Clark. We were very focused on protecting the health and safety of our employees, first and foremost. Yeah. But then yeah. also delivering um, the, the essential products to help people continue on with their, their, their daily lives. You may have noticed a run on toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> huge point. run on toilet paper. It's huge. Yeah, and it I would say this, well, it's not on toilet paper. The supply chain is still rather chunky as we're kind of coming out of COVID. And, and this idea of, you mentioned resiliency and resiliency in when we, what we did have, you know, just-in-time inventory, it, it's, you know, not, not seeing a lot of resiliency in that right now, at least not While well the supply chain yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, it's very delicate. It is, it's, it's really delicate. But I, I, I think you did say it really well that um, on a global basis, it felt to me like the tipping point was COVID and the social justice issues that arose around you know, George Floyd's death and everything else, because they were, they were, became global see, touch, and feel moments for almost everybody. <laughs> there is because of social media and the way we're even taping this interview right now, things are more transparent and, um, and more uh, people are able to see, touch, and feel things more than they could in the past. And that makes it real and personal, you know? Real and personal, precisely. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a, there was also this phenomenon that, um, you know, I think, I think because so many of us were in lockdowns and could only 
get outside for a walk in the woods, for example, you know, those of us right. who have the, the, the good fortune the, to do that. So I think right. we began to develop this um, perspective of those complex interdependencies between society and nature as well uh, yeah. throughout the period of time. Yeah. And uh, that, that actually uh, ha- had us, um, uh, you know, the, the corporate pur- purpose is, is around uh, providing better care in a better world and underneath that umbrella we decided it was time to, to look at and relaunch some of our sustainability goals and objectives as a result of the landscape just changing so dramatically externally. So we, um, we focused on our, 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 new, our new sustainability ambition, which was about making lives better for a billion people in vulnerable and underserved communities. Well, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's by like 2030, right? I mean, you want to hit that me- metric in the next 10, well, now nine years. That's nine huge. Years. Yeah. Is ticking, ma'am, definitely. <laughs> you know, it's such, it's such an important objective that has really, like, uh, I would say, created a lot of energy and enthusiasm within our employee base. And people mm. are looking to, to find ways that they can contribute, whether you're working in a brand team or an innovation team or supply chain team. There's a lot of folks that are really excited about helping to make a difference for people and those in need um, well, at that's, the same time. Yeah, that's really great though. I'm, I'm, I'm just to see the momentum and the purpose and passion that you kind of across the business, the, the frontline can bring to an issue like that is really, that's great. Yeah. You can sort of unleash the power of 45,000 employees around the world to, to tackle some of these big challenges. It's, uh, yeah. it's really exciting to see. So yeah. I'm just super fortunate to be, have a front row seat to it um, within the company indeed. Yeah. Front row seat. I would say you're help leading the charge. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about the 4,500 employees, but you know, with big issues, Lisa, like well, social justice issues and climate change, it's like it's not even one company. It feels like it's like all of corporate America plus different governments and NGOs. I mean, those are such massive issues that it's like not one segment of society alone can really can really solve it, if you will, by themselves. So tons of collaboration required um, in that in that effort. And there's power in that, I think, if you can get the collaboration right. Um there's some frameworks too that I think help inform it, like the United Nations, you know, the 17 um, sustainable development goals that they have. Yeah. So um, how did, can you talk for a minute about how, how those United Nations sustainable development goals may have informed uh, KC's objectives of where you want to be by 2030, which ones maybe in particular informed yeah. where you're headed? Yeah, absolutely, Cindy. I'd say, you know, totally agree with you. The SDGs provide some of the best shared definitions of those global challenges, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and we use the, the framework as we considered looking across our value chain, uh, the, the key impacts that we have, you know, either um, impacts or um, outcomes that we could drive, that we could, yeah. we could take a leadership role in. We wanted it to be relevant. We want it to, to the business and relevant to our consumers and to yes. our employees, if you will. So we, we took those lists of 17 and we really begin to map them across our value chain in terms of where we can make a material difference, we thought. So some of the, the areas that we focus on um, as a result were our good health and well-being, as you can well imagine, given the, the nature of our products and our categories being very, um, very much focused on health and hygiene. Yeah. And certainly what our brands stand for in terms of their, their personal connection to consumers, that's a good fit. Yep. Um, 
gender equality, which is SDG5, right? Um, the Cotex brand, just as an example, right? It's very much about championing the progress of women and girls everywhere. Yes. So very much their, their efforts and activities really, really center around um, gender equality. And then you couple that, of course, with um, inclusion and diversity initiatives within the company, which have, have really been accelerating over the past year as well, which is great to see. Yeah. Couple others, life on land, you know, we, where there's a lot of fiber um, in our products, you know, tree fiber from forests, et cetera. So yeah. Life on land and biodiversity protection and, and sustainable forest management are so important for us. Yeah, yeah, they really are. So I loved how, in addition to um, making an impact on a billion people and underserved populations by 2030, which I think is important because Kimberly Clark is a you know a consumer products brand. So that there are things like this that we use every day, right? Yeah. So that's that's a big deal. But I also really liked the other um, uh, goals that we're reducing by 2030. You know, by half your your footprint in climate and forests and water and and, and plastic. So can you talk for just a little bit about that side of it and, and marry that with the collaboration that's maybe tell us a little bit about some of that behind the scenes work with other companies and NGOs and, and even governments on, on some of those efforts? Sure, sure. You know, you know it's uh, one of my favorite examples, actually, of our programs um, cuts across many of those, those SDGs as well. And it's... Um, probably one of our longest standing programs, um, an area that we've been focused on for many, many years, and it's uh, responsible forest management, I touched on uh. a second ago. Um, you know, we depend on healthy forests, not only for our products and our business, right? Uh, but they're also critically important to healthy people and a healthy planet. So um, for, for us, you know, the focus on mitigating climate change, enabling biodiversity, and certainly providing culture and cultural and economic values to, to people, those forest dependent communities is, is critically important. It kind of ties all of those social and environmental aspects together into one, into one program. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while it's been um, a focus for us for many years, it's one of those that, that actually continues to evolve and really must continue to evolve as we get more data and science um, and research conducted so that we have a better understanding of the just how critical a role forests are playing in the world, particularly yeah. as more pressure comes to bear on them, quite frankly. So, yeah. so one area that, that we're, we're focused on, and it's in that mode of, we have to seek to understand first, get the science, get the data, but it's related to our science-based target to reduce our scope three GHG emissions, which is the, those climate emissions in your extended value chain. It would be related to things like your supplier's um, greenhouse okay. gas footprint, or even the footprint of your products after the consumer has used them, or oh. after they have left your left your you know sort of operational control. Okay. Into distribution into retail and into the consumer use space. So okay. All of those emissions that are kind of outside of your direct control, frankly. Right. So right. So uh, we want to very much understand, um, if you think about scope three for forests in our supply chain, what does that look like? Um, because it is such an important topic for it and the role that forests play in the mitigation of climate change. So we've been uh, engaged in some work with environmental groups and a lot of other stakeholders to understand, how do you even measure this? How do you understand this? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you put some some logical techniques or, or tools to, to bear to help support the measurement. So then we can figure out how best to mitigate it and manage those, mm-hmm. those emissions, if you will. How do you actually measure 
progress in this space? Like, what are the what are the metrics? How do you come up with them, and how do you really measure it? And and, and then how do you transparently and authentically communicate that in a way mm-hmm. that people can rely on? Yeah, and it's so important because it's a classic statement, right? What gets measured gets managed, right? Right. So you, you have to be able to to um, communicate externally with authenticity and legitimacy, so your your progress or lack of, and uh, be able to to have strong systems and tools in place that allow you to to, to get to the numbers in the first place. One of the um, I'll just use an example for you because I think d- we use different approaches to our to our metrics. Some are simpler than others. You know, sure. water use is pretty straightforward to measure. For example, you know, water use efficiency. Um, But one of the areas that's um, one of our biggest challenges, I would say, is measuring social impact. You know, how do you how do you how do you measure that you've enhanced the lives of of somebody who's living in a vulnerable community, if that makes sense? How do you how do you know? And Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the greatest challenges out there, frankly. And um, what the the approach that we've taken actually is to to build some guiding principles that Mm -hmm. we agree with our collaboration partners externally, but certainly our teams internally as well, and um, begin to collect the numbers. So so a a billion people, our our metric is people's lives improved, uh, basically. So various programs around the organization that all have different forms, you know, whether it's providing sanitation systems to communities that don't have them, or it's um, you know, providing some educational tools to help empower women in certain jurisdictions. They have very, very different forms and fashions. So we use this, this set of principles and a bit of a governance structure around them to, to calibrate and align everybody in terms of what we believe to be a meaningful and relevant positive impact. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we put, put that together. Uh, so, so it is a it is a pretty big challenge, uh, I would say. Um, what I w- would suggest, you know, we are about to publish our sustainability annual sustainability report tomorrow. Um, so this week. Oh, great! So by the time this podcast gets released, then um, the new KC sustainability report will be out. Will so be we'll drop that around. link. Yes, we'll that link. that link as well into the show notes so everyone can find it. So, yeah. yeah. It's got some great examples of the initiatives and how we how we measure those those initiatives and put some some quantification behind them, but it's it's such a such a critically important um, area to get right, no question. Yeah, I think it really is particularly as as kind of everyone is very focused on how, how do we how do we calibrate even between companies when they're reporting on, you know, their sustainability metrics? And you had mentioned earlier, there's all these different rating agencies out there, right? I mean, oh my goodness, there's ISS, there's SASB, there's Dow Jones Sustainability Index, you know, in addition to the the others that we mentioned earlier, I mean, they're all over the board. But some of the regulatory agencies are now starting to pick it up. And I think everybody's sort of waiting, at least here in the U.S., to see what the SEC is, is going to do, if anything, to try to bring some almost required consistency to disclosures. What do you, let's just talk governance for a minute. What do you think would be helpful in this space in terms of governance reform to kind of set a bar that would be consistent yeah. for investors to kind of look at it across companies and yeah, it's, compare. There's so many aspects to that question. There are like 12 <laughs> thoughts going through my head, Cindy. But what, what I would say is that I overall, I think to your point about the SEC, 
I think we're seeing ESG moving from discretionary to an era of more mandates. And within those mandates are probably going to come some structural tools, you know, things like the the greenhouse gas protocols, right, that uh, you want to be sure that companies are measuring their scope one, scope two, scope three climate emissions the same, the same way using some yeah, methodologies, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. I think some of that, uh, some of that is organically growing up through um, non-financial disclosure, sort of maturity through time is uh-huh. that is coming along. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because I think the Biden administration has gotten out of the gates pretty quickly uh, with joint, rejoining the Paris Agreement and integrating environmental justice, green infrastructure into their plan. Um, and, and certainly the SEC work to assess what good, good disclosure has to look like in the future, I think, puts, puts the, the country back on a leadership track and yeah. certainly relatively consistent with where the European Union has been headed for some time. Yeah, yeah. On a continuum, would you say that where does the U.S. fall in uh, relation to where the EU is perhaps on governance reform for this area? And should it be global or should it just be driven by the national regulatory bodies? You know, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I think, I think we're seeing entering a period of accelerating regulatory activity um, yeah. around the world, yeah. uh, generally speaking, not, not just for, for this ESG space, but generally speaking. So I think some of those, those gaps will close up. I think we're, we've exited a period of relative quiet in the United States on, on regulatory reform and certainly any kind of governance reform around ESG. Uh, I think the gap is closing rapidly, though, uh, quite honestly. We'll see. You know, the SEC's comment period just closed, what, uh, just recently, you know, a few weeks yeah. ago. So yeah. I think we're, the, the story is yet to be told. And, uh, you know, regardless of whether we have um, regulatory action and legislative action, I, I do think that investors will continue to, to wave the banner um, and, and set a tone in terms of the types of disclosures they expect and what they expect mm-hmm. to see in them. Um, mm-hmm. I think I read a, read a stat recently that said 85% of investors are, in, are considering SG factors today, you know, in, wow. their, in their decision-making. And that has jumped dramatically over the past few years. Sure. So yeah. I think uh, even if there's sluggishness on the regulatory side, I think investors are re- institutional investors are really pushing the, pushing the needle. Uh, Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about pushing forward, particularly in an area like ESG, where you do have to have principles. I loved how you described that, but also very specific kind of measurement metrics, right? So you kind of you kind of have to have both to make real progress. And let's face it, it's not all going to be success stories, right? There, there's 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 going to be some mistakes that get made along the way, or things that you think might work and might not. So interested in your thoughts on a couple of things related to that. Um, should those kinds of mistakes um, be be discussed and revealed? Do you think that's helpful? And how does that play into sort of the recalibration, if you will, of, of what the goals ought to be? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, just coming out of our sustainability report process, uh, we had to challenge ourselves, actually, to be a bit yeah. more transparent on what some of those challenges were. It's not natural to say, well, this didn't work and that didn't work. And I wish we would have done that a bit differently. Uh, but there are important learnings in that. And I yeah. think the transparency about, you know, what has been effective is in, in versus what hasn't been effective are both very important angles on, on this discussion. To me, yeah. it gets back to like authenticity 
and just, you know, if you're not making progress on a goal, explain why not and talk a little bit about what you want to do differently going forward to try and unlock it. I think that is important. And it's quite liberating, frankly, as well, because uh, there's nothing worse than being a metrics driven company or an organization and missing your targets. None of us like that, for sure. Right. um, Understanding what you can learn and take away from that as you go forward, because we are driving very complex changes, right? In some right. Right. We won't always be successful. It won't always work. Um, and we have to be clear on what has worked in order to, 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 to learn going forward, but also what hasn't been successful so we can check adjust. Yeah, I think that's important. Well, Lisa, I, um, for one, am certainly looking forward to seeing the sustainability report from Kimberly Clark. And this has been a fabulous conversation. So thank you so much for your time. I always like to end on one question where if somebody's interested in learning a little more, um, what what do you have as recommendations for good books or good podcasts or maybe a good documentary or something that um, you found helped you in your ESG journey? And what would you recommend to the audience? I, I couldn't resist, Cindy. I, I'd show you the what I'm reading right now at the oh, moment. Yeah. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, I think it was, what did I say? It was Bill, hold it up again, just below Bill Gates, how to avoid. Yes, Bill Gates, how to avoid a climate disaster, which I I think has been a, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of it, frankly. Um, And it's a pretty compelling read. And I I love that it has, um, has this focus on the importance of net zero climate emissions, right? Carbon neutrality, if you will. But it, it talks a lot about the solutions and innovation that we need to get there. So it's got this very solutions oriented focus to it. You know, some some of the material that you read in the sustainability space is kind of, it can be gloom and doomish and, and so much of that published material. So it's good to have a bit of a focus on, you know, what do we do about it? Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And this has been just a, a fabulous conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Cindy. It's been a pleasure connecting with you today. Great questions. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. You're welcome. And join us all, join us back here next week for another episode of The Biz. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.